need to all take this seriously. I don't think any of us wants to lose really good employees. Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Maureen Lonergan, a VP at Amazon Web Services with 25 years of tech training under her belt. She'll talk about how we can keep our skills sharp in the year ahead, the digital trends that will be critical in the next decade, and how cloud computing will play an important part. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. It's on all of us to make sure that anybody who wants to learn can take training. And I think the long-term impact of that is just a more robust tech workforce and a much more diverse workforce. Technology shifted rapidly during the pandemic with companies doubling down on everything from remote banking to remote health to remote work. However, the training to manage, navigate, and support that new cloud-based reality has not kept pace. A new global survey by Amazon Web Services, AWS, notes that most workers aren't being trained for the skills that employers say they'll need most in the years ahead. Things like cloud migration, cybersecurity, and cloud-based tools like software-as-a-service solutions. Workers, for their part, have a sense that their skills aren't keeping pace. In fact, two in three workers in that research said they weren't learning new digital skills quickly enough. There is a lot at stake, from company survival to staff retention and staff satisfaction. But employees don't feel they have the time to build new skills, and companies often don't know where to start when it comes to training their teams. Maureen Lonergan is helping to bridge these gaps. She's the VP of Training and Certification for AWS, and her role helps to scale digital training. In her 25-year career, her work has helped train 7 million people. And while she and her team build training for customers, partners, and academia, they also design training for anyone looking to strengthen their skills. In fact, AWS has committed to training 29 million adult learners around the globe for free by 2025. Maureen talked to Meet the Leader about keeping skills sharp and how bosses and individuals can make time to learn. She also talked to us about the elements that make training programs truly effective and why it's important to think big when it comes to learning. We'll get to all of that, but first, we'll talk about Restart, a special reskilling program that introduces those with a high school or equivalent education to sought-after training in security, networking, and database skills. Here's Maureen. Restart is a, it actually started out as a physical in-person 12-week program that's gone virtual, but we partner with organizations and communities to identify unemployed or underemployed individuals that have an interest in cloud computing. You know, the mission of that is really to build a diverse global pipeline for entry-level trained talent. We have this great story about Jared Gaines, who's a personal fitness trainer in Boston or was, and then when the pandemic hit... He was going to open a gym and that obviously sent that plan south and someone had told him about this program. And now, you know, he has a great job working for IDBS software solutions in tech. The fast food um, worker, a woman named Charlotte Wilkins, lost her job due to COVID, went through the AWS program 
Restart and is now an associate solution engineer at a cloud-based company in Manchester. And so we know that taking people that have an interest in education and providing a framework, right? Soft skills, tech skills, partnerships in communities and partnerships, you know, and working with companies, we know that we can really do some good for individuals, but really long-term it's, it's great for employees. You know, the cloud computing industry will continue to be a steady source of new jobs. And we want to make it easy for anyone with a desire to learn to access cloud computing. So whether you're totally new to cloud or an experienced professional We want to make sure that we're providing, and we have over 500 free courses out and available. This could be a tremendous force for good. People trained through Restart are new to tech. How can companies best serve those new employees to make sure that they are retaining them for the long term? You know, I think the one thing that we have to be aware of, though, is that companies need to provide learning time within that organization once they are on the receiving end of these individuals, right? Like it's going to take a little longer, but those people will stay longer. It's taking a step back and looking at the individuals coming with the organizations. People coming in with 25 years experience are probably going to need a different set of things to make them successful than early career talent. We have this great leadership principle. It's my favorite. It's learn and be curious. I think if companies adopt that thinking and really think about how to where people are in, in the life cycle of learning and what they need, I think they're going to be you know very happy with the outcomes. In your opinion, what is going to be maybe the most important sort of priorities, the most important reskilling priorities just in the year ahead, if you're a worker or if you're um, an employer? Digital skills training and cloud fluency is more important than ever. Um, A new study said that 85% of workers reported that they needed more technical knowledge to do their jobs. And they also found that the use of cloud-based tools is among the top top most in-demand skill employers need by 2025. And combine that with this tremendous skills gap, we train our customers and our partners, but we're looking at what are the other untapped audiences. And in 2020, we committed to investing hundreds of millions of dollars to provide free cloud computing skills training to 29 million people by 2025. And that's reaching from all walks of life and levels of knowledge in more than 200 countries and territories. And we're localizing into 16 languages so that we can make it accessible for people. And we think we're all going to long-term benefit if we make it accessible. So that 85% of workers who feel they need more technical knowledge, that's from the recent survey that Amazon did called the AWS Global Digital Skills Survey. I wanted to mention that for listeners so folks know where that number came from. Uh, We're going to have that and other eye-opening stats in a piece that accompanies this podcast. But I wanted to ask, when it comes to looking to increase digital literacy or cloud computing knowledge, if you are an employer or an employee listening to this, what is the one thing that you should be doing now? You know, my advice to employers is that they need to think differently about the way that they train their employees. They hired them for their skill set. They hired them for their culture. They um, know the goals and outcomes. And so they're, they're, they're there. And with the skills gap, they don't have any luxury, right? To, they, they just won't be able to find the people out in the industry. Business audiences need to be trained on cloud. It impacts the way that they run their business, whether it's finance or marketing. The second thing I would say is organizations really need to have a vocal senior leader within the, within the team that is you know, talking about training, 
understands the goals and outcomes of the organization and building that strategy and bringing individuals into that to drive that. The message that I would say to an individual is that there are tons, there's tons of opportunity with cloud, right? There's a lot of people trying to transition from traditional IT or from business roles into tech. I would say there's never been a better time to consider upskilling yourself. And you can do that over time. We have, you know, foundational level and tech level courses, many of which are, are completely free. I think they have to not be fearful of it, but embrace it um, and encourage their organizations to embrace it as well. In the shorter term, if more training was embraced, what sorts of changes do you think we'd see? Would it impact retention or even put a dent in the great resignation? There's studies out there that say that if you invest in your employees, they stay, right? At the end of the day, people, especially builders, want to come and they want to build and they want to innovate and they want to know that their careers, that they're investing in the careers and the great resignation is no joke. We need to all take this seriously. Um, and I don't think any of us wants to to lose really good employees. You know, they're reevaluating where they are in life. Certainly there's been so many challenges over the last two, two years. So providing flexibility and learning opportunities and working with your teams, I think is, is what it's gonna take. And when employers and employees are looking across the next decade, what are the priorities they should be setting to make sure skills are where they need to be on both a personal and an organizational level? I think companies need to think about that and how they're planning uh, employee development. I think they haven't had to do it up until now. You know, there hasn't been this this tremendous gap. Um, And I think the other thing that they need to look at is is the diversity, right? Diversity is such a huge, important part of how you build products. And so I think that that needs to be a core part of what they do by providing access and skills training that's in high demand all over the world. We collectively could create opportunities and have a positive um, long-term impact for individuals and communities globally. And this is only going to make companies better, right? I think, you know, it's on all of us to make sure that Anybody who wants to learn can take training. And I think the long-term impact of that is just a much more robust tech um, workforce and a much more diverse workforce. In your opinion, if I'm a boss or I'm in HR or in any sort of department, marketing, finance, whatever, um, do you think the question I need to be asking myself is, do I have a plan for myself or my people to be better a year from now? Would a question like that be the gut check people need to help them know if they're really building something when it comes to training and learning? Great question. I ask myself that all the time, even for my own staff, right? We have workforce development teams that are really focused on looking at the skills that are required so that we can go out and serve our customers in the best way. And I I think that's, that's probably question number one that people should be asking, especially today. What else? What else is really, really important to making a training program really, really effective in your mind? What what sort of little, if we had a recipe book, you'd need A, B, and C. What what are the ingredients that are like really, really you can't you can't substitute for them? Yeah, I think you need a the vocal executive sponsor. I think you need to provide time for people to learn. You know, in my organization, we have no meetings Friday, and that's really time to like catch up and develop yourself. And then the last thing I think is is really around kind of reward and recognition. When people invest in this training and they get certified, what does that look like? I've seen different companies do different things, whether it's t-shirts or you know lunch or whatever it might be. But I think acknowledging that people are making investments in their career is super important. I have talked to a number of companies, and that sense of pride is really, really important. You have to celebrate people who finish training, shout it from the rooftop 
workshops that is one key element of uh, ongoing success with these programs. You mentioned something really interesting, that there's no meeting Fridays. And I feel like during the pandemic, these got very, very popular, but as a way to stave off burnout, not as a way to sort of create time for training. We know from your research and just life on earth, time for training is one of the reasons people don't pursue it. Should companies be explicit and specific that when they offer these perks, like no meetings Fridays, that this is not just some time to do more email, that this is a time to invest in yourself. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, we were we were specific and we started this during the pandemic. In a virtual world, it's super hard to like keep people connected. And so whether it's, you know, lunch and learns or being self-learning or, you know, even I every Friday morning, because I feel like as a leader, I have to embrace that. So I meet with someone, you know, once every Friday to, to build my skills up, right? And and take an hour, you know, whatever it is, an hour could be four hours, whatever that might be. I think companies would be surprised at, at you know, that that's only going to help them as an organization. We've done, you know, tech training days or mindfulness or, you know, and it's, it's a self-serve thing. Like people, we don't force anybody to do it, but we want to make sure that we're providing all these opportunities. And I can tell you just from my own perspective, we had a an event with some of my employees and, and they had said like what a difference that had made. Because you can imagine like we have instructors that go out all over the world and teach customers, they have to be up to date on the latest and greatest. So providing them with the opportunity to make sure they know everything that's happened in the services, you know, any new releases, any changes so that they can be more powerful for our customers and helping them to scale them up. You said that you sort of take uh, a time out an hour a week and learn something new. What types of things have you learned lately? Like types of meetings have you had to sort of brush up on your own uh, knowledge? (laughs) Yeah, I was doing the keynote at reInvent. So speech coach for one, awesome TEDx coach that I've been working with. I've also been taking new services training to understand a bit more about you know, particular services. Yesterday I took migrations training. You know, it's just like I try and take a module or something. And the great thing about the way that we develop our digital content is it's like in 10 and 15 minute chunks, right? So you can actually go out to our platform, which has the 500 free courses and kind of search and think about like, oh, was I interested in AIML or was I interested in, you know, a very particular service or whatever, whether it's role-based or just a service-based thing, you can go out and take whatever you want. And this is more, well, for gamers, you know, we have Twitch as a platform and we put courses out on our Twitch platform. And those have been wildly successful and really engaging. We've got a couple of instructors and it's fun. And and so depending on how you like to learn, if you like that more personal engagement, and there's also, you know, opportunity to answer, ask questions. And it's, it's a really fun, we rolled that out, I think a year ago when, you know, trying to think of new ways to reach audiences where they want to learn. And that has been very fun. Yeah. What kinds of things can people learn through the the, the Twitch approach? Uh, we've done uh, migrations training. We've done um, cloud practitioners. So anybody who's just interested in cloud and wants to learn more about it, we've do, we've done a variety of courses, and we'll continue to put those out on the platform. You know, over uh, increase our, our our cadence in that and put more content out. And again, completely free. Just want people to be trained. 
we talked a little bit about diversity and how important that is uh, in that, you know, tech companies as a whole, this has been a challenge area uh, across the sector. How do these programs that we've talked about that are sort of uh, expanding uh, training and being more inclusive, how are they acting as a pipeline for opportunity for Amazon? You know, if it's for Amazon in particular, I mean, certainly could be, but like the programs that we do aren't to hire people into Amazon. They're for companies to hire. So the intent of the programs that are part of the 29 million commitment is to support skills training for individuals in communities broadly. And the programs are public. We have separate commitment to invest $1.2 billion in education and skills trainings for our own employees within our own organization. And those programs are intentional about diversity. The one for Am- like Amazon Technical Apprenticeship Program, which focuses on hiring and upskilling military veterans and spouses. So I think there's we have a kind of a two-pronged approach. Amazon is investing in its employees, and then we are investing to put skilled talent out in the market and and two very different approaches. Is there uh, in say 10, 10 years or so that 2030 scenario, some of these folks that have been introduced to some of this cloud computing training, a journey that might take them one day to any number of tech companies, including Amazon? Um, yes. And, you know, I think that it's easy to grow your skills in the way that training's being developed now. So I think, you know, in 2030, for sure, hopefully the world looks really different. Hopefully it's super diverse and, and people have, you know, the technology skills and it's, they have, um, you know, jobs that can support their families or their lives. And I think that's important. There's a, a couple of little interesting details that I learned about you. I, I read that you, you you said that you didn't think big enough when you first started Amazon. Um, is there something that you would have approached differently now, you know, looking back, knowing what you know now, being who you are now? What, what would that be? I ran tech training at a bunch of different companies and and you come in with this perspective, right? And I think one of the things we do at Amazon is like, you got to like check that a little bit. And I, I had written a business plan and, and my you know, leader was like, this is great, but we hired you to train, you know, a million people or whatever it was 10 years ago. Right. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I really blew it. But I think, you know, having been here 10 years, I wish I would have gone in and said, I believe we could train 5 million people and this is how we need to do it. Having that design point would have facilitated different conversations and really looking, you know, cause at first, you know, you think you're hired to do one thing and then it, you find out you're doing, you know, training 29 million people around the globe in 200 countries, right? Those are two totally different ways to look at the business. And so I, I was really lucky at great leaders. And like, I think within a year I changed our vision to train hundreds of millions of people. And from that point forward, everything is about that goal, right? How do we do it? How do we get training to people that can't have it? How do we build training so that they consume it? How do we make it accessible? How do we make it free? How do you know, all of those things, how do we get it into channels? Like they may not come to us, right? edX, Coursera, you know, how do we get the content into those channels such that people can learn where they want to learn? You took a gap year and you, uh, you, you made the decision to teach preschool in Mozambique, as, as one does, right? Uh, and, and then you also climbed um, Mount Kilimanjaro, which I believe was not on a gap year, but it was a challenge that you took on. Um, why did you approach those two very different challenges and, uh, and what did you learn from them? Yeah, the first, the, the teaching in Mozambique, I kind of fell into my lap. I, um, 
had taken some time off work and um, I had something personal happen to me. And I, during that time was at Christmas and, and I started to really think about like, what, how do I want to spend my life? Right. And, and I had been to Africa, you know, a couple of years before on an eight week tour. So I went on on Christmas Eve and I just started saying like, well, what, you know, what's volunteer work anyway, I contacted this company and the, in reached out to them and said, you know, I'd like to do something in teaching. And so two weeks later, I was on a plane and, you know, probably ill-prepared for the heat. And, uh, but Mozambique is a beautiful country with beautiful people. And, you know, I taught school, preschool under a tree. I taught English as a second language to high school. And, you know, through that, it's, it's, it's so interesting when you live out in the middle of, you know, a, a remote village, you you gain a, an entirely new appreciation for just the basics and you know things that i certainly i didn't like to think i took for granted but i certainly don't think i it's never left me right and mm-hmm. in particular education and that's why i think the restart program is so important we're going into all kinds of countries trying to figure out how do you get access to education so that you can help that you know africa will be in the future, the largest tech employer, I believe, um, with their population. And, uh, and so it's, we have to figure it out. As for Kilimanjaro, I'm always constantly trying to challenge myself. It ended up being a group of friends and it was definitely one of the hardest things I have ever done, but it was also the most rewarding. Um, and I continue to, you know, challenge myself. I, I did five, five half marathons last year and two triathlons. And so constantly thinking like, what is it that I can do? What's the next thing I can do to improve myself? It's kind of, I think it's on that whole, like, how do you improve yourself, whether it's taking training, learning, physically training yourself. What was the the toughest moment of that, of that climb? And I, and I imagine that uh, part of this is that is the mental endurance, right? There's the physical endurance is one thing, but if you don't have the mental part in place and nothing, nothing doing, I, well, but anyway, what was the, the toughest moment of that climb? You know what? The hardest moment was honestly like day three, we hiked up to lava tower. It, it's, it, you go up, I think 4,000 feet and down 2,000 because you're trying to acclimate. And I was suffering from unbelievable elevation sickness. Like it was like every step was like, you know, and, and it took me 13 hours, I think, to do it. And I was the last one in with my guide and at night, you know, walking through kind of a ri- like a river to get to where we were sleeping. And I think, you know, it was like, I, and I looked over at the guide and I said, I, the, where's the out? And he said it was back at Lava Tower. And I remember I just was standing in the river and I started, <laughs> you know, getting emotional. And, and uh, it was funny, the next morning I woke up and we were in this beautiful valley, right? And I came out and they gave me coffee and I looked up at this like I think it's called the Barranca wall. It's like very famous there, but anyway, you have to climb. It's very, it's a, you know, you have to climb it. And I swear to God, it was the best day I had. So it's like, I think one thing that I learned from that experience was that, you know, it was an incredibly difficult thing for me personally to do at that time, but that you can, you know, mind over matter. It really is a mind over matter thing. And, and I think I struggled with that in the past, but I think that showed me that I could do other things, which is why I pursued a lot of other activities to keep, continue to, you know, push my physical endurance. Sure. And also just this idea that challenge is temporary, that you can push past this. There is something after the challenge. (laughs) Exactly. That was Maureen Lonergan. 
Before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, the Book Club podcast, introducing you to the greatest authors and thinkers around the world. Here's a preview. Hey, I'm Beatrice DiCato, and I'm the host of the Book Club podcast from the World Economic Forum. For the last three years, we've been so lucky to share our love of books with an ever-growing audience of over 200,000 of you on our book club group on Facebook. And now, we're taking it up a notch with a brand new podcast. Our show will feature in-depth interviews with some of our favorite authors looking at their most recent work, their motivations, inspirations, and so much more. Great fiction, economics, psychology, philosophy, the world's best storytellers will be telling us their stories. We'll be checking in with cutting-edge thinkers like organizational psychologist Adam Grant, best-selling author of Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. If we all brought a little bit of the humility to know what we don't know, um, the doubt that we, we don't attach often enough to the things we think we do know, and the curiosity to discover more, we might have more open minds, and I think a more open-minded world is probably a better world. Jillian Tett, editor-at-large at the Financial Times, who is on a mission to show us how anthropology can explain the world. We can all benefit by trying to immerse ourselves into the lives and minds of others so that we can then flip the lens and look back at ourselves with a lot more clarity. Or Indian-American author Parag Khanna, who will talk about his latest book, Move how mass migration will reshape the world and what it means for you. We are capable of preserving our survivability as a species through mobility. And it's a macro version of fight or flight. And let me tell you, you don't really want to fight nature. And giants from the world of literature, like author of The 40 Rules of Love and The Island of Missing Trees, Elif Shafak. Inside fiction, there is everything. Inside a novel, there is politics, there is technology, there is psychology, philosophy, you know, there is neuroscience, and there's so much more. So join me, Beatrice DiCaro, for our first episode of the Book Club podcast from the World Economic Forum, where I'll be speaking to Professor Adam Grant. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it when it lands. That's it for me. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with studio production by Gareth Nolan. My thanks go out to him and to this week's guest, Maureen Lonergan. And to you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts. And for more extensive Q&As from our guests, go online to wef.ch podcasts. And follow us online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle at WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.